70 years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of global Korea. Throughout the year, we celebrate the 70th anniversary of KBS World Radio with the voices of our listeners from all over the world. KBS 日本語放送のリスナーラジオネームゆずと申します。私の聴取歴は今年で3年目です。my radio name is Yutsu, and I'm a regular listener of KBS World Radio Japanese Service. I live in Sapporo, Hokkaido. My listening experience of three years is nothing compared to long-time listeners, but I tune in daily because it is so interesting. KBS World Radio Japanese Service is like a friend who brings updates from Korea. I can get information about my favorite K-dramas and movies, while I can communicate with other listeners through listener comments on all the programs. I did a phone interview earlier this year, and the listeners were so kind. It's become a great memory for me. After the COVID-19 restrictions were lifted, I see many Korean tourists here in Hokkaido. I plan to visit Seoul to experience Korea firsthand. I promise I will keep tuning in. I love you, KBS World Radio Japanese Service. Seventy years with KBS World Radio, seventy years of global Korea. KBS World Radio brings Korea to you wherever you are. Hello, it is Thursday, the 21st of December, and welcome to Korea 24. I'm your host, Won jang The National Assembly has passed next year's budget plan worth 656 trillion won. It comes 19 days after the legal deadline. We'll have more details in news briefing shortly. Last week, a bill was passed in South Chungcheong province to repeal the student rights ordinance, and there is growing pressure for other regions to follow suit. We discuss the issue for our in-depth today. And coming up for Explore Korea, we find out about a local delicacy not for the squeamish. We have all that and more on today's Korea 24. Nineteen days after the legal deadline, rival parties reached a consensus and the National Assembly on Thursday passed next year's budget plan worth 656.6 trillion won. Uh, KBS World Radio News Editor Guri Jin joins us in the studio now to give us the details of the state spending for next year as well as our other headlines of the day. Hee Jin, hello. Hello, Jang. So better late than never, as they say. Mm -hmm. A sentiment that was reflected by the presidential office on Thursday, Mm -hmm. saying that although it was late, it was nevertheless a relief. Mm -hmm, Indeed. Rival camps passed the budget motion in a vote of 237 to 9, with 13 abstentions in a a plenary session of 259 members. The passage came after rival political parties agreed to cut the budget by some 300 billion won from the government's original proposal. It marked the second consecutive year Parliament passed the government's budget plan after cutting the initial motion. Thursday also marked the third straight time for the Parliament to fail to meet the deadline for passing the upcoming year's budget motion. 
Taking a closer look at the budget, it earmarks 26.5 trillion won for supporting research and development, or 600 billion won more than the government's proposal. Indeed, the 600 billion won will be spent on increasing research infrastructure, including addressing job insecurity, uh, supporting the research of next generation and core technologies, as well as acquiring the latest high-performance research equipment. Shifting to inter-party politics, the ruling People Power Party has put forth Justice Minister Han Dong-un as its Emergency Leadership Committee chief ahead of April's general election. The PPP is scheduled to convene a committee on Tuesday for ratification before he is officially appointed next week. Can you tell us more? Well, at a meeting with reporters on Thursday, PPP acting chief and floor leader Yun Jeok said Han's nomination was decided after collecting opinions from party representatives, heads of regional party committees and standing advisers. Yun expressed anticipation that Han will meet public expectations for change and reform, lead uh, the party through parliamentary reforms and induce political and cultural improvements. Referring to Han's uh, high approval ratings as a future political leader, the floor leader said he expects the former justice minister to garner support from the youth and moderate voters, while also bringing together the uh, country's conservatives in support of the ruling party. Han, who held a farewell ceremony at the justice ministry on Thursday, said he wanted to pave the way for a future nation standing on the side of those in need, and he will strive to do so wherever he goes. Han's nomination comes after former PPP chief Kim Ki-hun's stepped down last Wednesday in the face of discord over recommendations by the uh, party's innovation panel and sinking approval ratings ahead of the elections. Let's get an update on the weather now because the strongest cold wave of the season has descended across the nation, bringing heavy snowfall and prompting related warnings. The Arctic weather expected to last until this weekend. Can you give us the latest? Well, the Thursday morning temperatures plummeted to minus 25.3 degrees Celsius in Imnam, uh, Choron County in Kangwon province, while Seoul saw a low of minus 14.4 degrees. Heavy snow is descending on the southern resort island of Jeju, South Jeolla province and the west coast of South Chungcheong province, with Hala Mountains Samgakmo Peak reporting over 50 centimetres or 20 inches of accumulation. Frigid conditions will likely continue tomorrow with Friday morning lows expected to be similar or even lower than Thursdays. The mercury will, uh, will drop to minus 15 degrees in Seoul and minus 20 degrees in Charan before gradually rising from Saturday. However, the feels-like temperature in central regions, including this capital area, is expected to drop to around minus 20 degrees. Heavy snows combined with sub-zero temperatures are leading to icy roads, so we advise caution for our listeners here in Korea. Mm -hmm. In other news, the Supreme Court upheld the lower court rulings in favour of a group of Korean victims of Japan's wartime forced labour in a second set of damages suits seeking compensation from two Japanese firms. Can you tell us more? Well, the top court on Thursday confirmed appellate uh, court rulings that uh, ordered Japan's Mitsubishi Heavy Industry and Nippon Steel to pay a maximum of 150 million won or around 115,000 US dollars to each of the victims as well as damages for the delay uh, for a total of 1.17 billion won. 
Seven of the victims filed the suit against Nippon Steel in 2013 for forcing them to work at the state-run Kamaishi and Yahata Steel Mills during Japan's colonial rule in the 1940s, while three other victims and a family member of a late victim sought damages from Mitsubishi Heavy Industries in 2014 for forced labour at the company's Nagoya plant in the mid-1940s. All of the victims have died over the past decade since the filing the suits after seeing the top court uphold rulings in favour of a previous group of victims against Nippon Steel for the first time uh, one year prior. Now, the Japanese firms have yet to pay the previously ordered compensation, claiming the statute of limitations has passed. Indeed, and the court said on Thursday that the 2018 ruling clearly established that the two countries' 1965 normalization treaty did not pertain to such damaged suit. Uh, Japan's chief uh, cabinet secretary, Yoshimasa Hayashi, expressed Tokyo's strong regret in response, saying that the court ruling clearly goes against the 1965 treaty. Referring to Seoul's announcement in March that the compensation will be paid to victims through domestic corporate uh, donations, Hayashi and Japan expects the plan to be upheld. We'll wrap up our news briefing there. Hijin, thank you for bringing us those updates. Thank you. Last week, the Regional Council of South Chungcheong Province passed a bill abolishing its Students' Rights Ordinance, or Hakseng Inkwanchore in Korean. South Chungcheong Province had been one of seven cities and provinces that had regionally implemented such an ordinance aimed at protecting students' rights, but it has faced criticism from Conservatives for supposedly undermining the authority of teachers. Under the current administration, there has been a growing push to repeal the ordinance in all regions, but in Seoul, a local administrative court has suspended the execution of a related bill until it makes a formal ruling on the issue. We have joining us on the line now two political commentators and regular guests to discuss this divisive issue. First, we have Law Professor Chu Hee-kyung from Hong University. Professor Chu, hello. Hello. We also have affiliate professor Kim Byung-ju from the Hangul University of Foreign Studies as well. Professor Kim, hello to you too. Hello. Okay, so Professor Chul, can we first go over the basics? Can you help explain for our listeners what the Student Rights Ordinance is exactly? It was first enacted in 2010. Why it was brought in and what changes it brought to classrooms? So the Students' uh, Human Rights Ordinance uh, is, as its name suggests, it's a lower government level ordinance. It's not even uh, law, but uh, a uh, sub-regulatory set of uh, rules. And the first one was introduced in Gyeonggi province, I think specifically in Incheon city back in 2010 and Seoul metropolitan government followed not uh, too long thereafter and few other uh, cities and provinces introduced them at the the um the local government level uh and it was regarded as necessary because it seems like a uh, another age now but i think professor kim and i are both of a generation where corporal punishment of 
sometimes extreme kind was routine in schools. Uh, even now, I mean, not now, uh, but even maybe a decade ago, 10 years ago, if you look at some uh, headlines of news reports about um, corporate punishment in schools, there were some really humiliating and, and not only painful but inhumane type of punishment that was routinely meted out by teachers to students, like you know, beating students with any kind of implemented hand, including uh, long mop handles, uh, slippers of the teacher's own feet, hard plastic folders, you know, humiliating students in front of the entire class by making them stand in their underwear, pouring water off their pants, um, you know, like pulling on bra strips of female students or making students slap each other's cheeks for penalty uh, for male students, like pulling on their reproductive organs, lifting up a student by their ears, shaving off eyebrow just because the student had them shaped, you know, to make them look nicer, beating the soles of feet. I mean, just the list goes on. And it was just incredible to read this kind of uh, report. And there was a spate of um, cases that was in the news highlighting this kind of corporal punishment that was still ongoing. And I think it um, got triggered when... Uh, one of the local superintendents who got elected in had promised to implement essentially kind of a bill of rights for students. And that's how it started. Now, I want to emphasize the fact that, um, so this is not a legislation that's passed by the National Assembly. And the types of rights that are protected under these uh, student ordinances are generally speaking, already protected under the Constitution, the, uh, the primary, middle and higher school education law, and even um, law regarding prevention of uh, cruelty uh, to children, etc. But I think it was felt and thought important that it should be emphasised that students should be able to study and be educated in safe environment and to actually prohibit uh, corporal punishment in schools, and that's why these ordinances came about. Right, so it wasn't legislation, it wasn't a, a law, but it was aimed at helping further protect students' rights, most importantly, most notably, as you said, uh, helping ban corporal punishment by teachers. It was also aimed at banning discrimination, uh, allowing rallies in school grounds, and even allowing students uh, freedom to choose their own hairstyles and clothing. But Professor Kim, it was also deemed controversial as well, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, you know, the school setting is a setting where uh, students exist on one hand, but teachers uh, also are there on the other. So uh, from the beginning, it was controversial. Uh, but I guess the observation is, as Professor Cho mentioned, uh, that was the time about, this is more than a decade ago now, and that's the time where we needed uh, statements and uh, kind of like testaments in a way, supporting human rights. Uh, I think it has been already partially mentioned, but not only prevention of violation against students, uh, uh, violence against students, but also respect for different kinds of people, different sexual orientation, different race, nationality, gender, 
uh, you know, protection of these minorities as well. Uh, I think these were all very necessary actions at that time. But since then, well, of course, as you mentioned, as you asked the question uh, at the beginning, you know, whether it was a controversial, it was indeed controversial, and there was a strong reaction from the conservative side. Uh, but since then, I think time has changed, and, and that's probably why we are seeing uh, more controversy these days. The uh, situation has changed, the world has changed, the country has changed, and so uh, the voice is being raised in terms of, you know, like a further changes that are needed uh, in accordance with the changes and transformation the society has gone through. Right. It's been uh, blamed for uh, undermining the authority of teachers. And this topic has become very sensitive uh, in the past year or so as well uh, because of the spate of suicides of teachers uh, recently as well. Uh, teachers have been under undue pressure from uh, parents uh, and students alike as, as well. And therefore, the undermining authority of teachers has been blamed for this uh, situation. And the ordinance has been uh, labelled as a key factor as well. So the ordinance, it was enacted in seven cities and provinces, including Seoul in Gyeonggi province. But after a growing support for its abolition recently, it was repealed in South Chungcheong province last week, as I mentioned. And it seemed Seoul was set to follow suit as well. The Seoul City Council, dominated by the Conservative People Power Party members, was pushing to create a new ordinance that uh, focused on strengthening students' obligations and protecting teachers' rights. But earlier this week, the Seoul Administrative Court accepted a civic group's application to suspend the execution of the bill. Professor Kim, how significant do you think this ruling was? And despite this decision, though, do you think ultimately we will see conservative politicians pushing through the abolishment of the ordinance across the country? Well, conservative politicians going uh, pushing through these kind of changes going forward, it's something that uh, we cannot tell the future of. But uh, obviously the, the momentum is, is increasing, is being gained at this point as we speak. And uh, what I saw was I actually checked the contents of the revised uh, ordinance and uh, what the revised draft was showing is that uh, emphasis, emphasis on the rights of, uh, no, not exactly, let me put it the, the, the other way around, more properly. Uh, emphasis on the obligation on the students to respect the rights of other students as well as the teachers. And I think that's a, that's a desirable one. Uh, and uh, emphasizing the responsibilities of the members of the community of the school is a uh, something that a lot of people probably uh, receive very positively. And in that regard, I think uh, not a simple abolition of the ordinance, but uh, the movement to revise it or add new clauses probably will most likely, in my own view, gain support from other people. Um, as I mentioned at the very beginning of today's discussion, school community has different groups. It's not only student uh, only, but they are teachers. And we need to make sure that good teachers have their commitment to their uh, vocation, their profession, and uh, they, don't, they shouldn't be treated as a perpetrator. They're, they are important member of the community, and they actually are supposed to, in my own view, quote-unquote, lead students. And in, in leading 
uh, they need to have their rights respected and so on. So this kind of revision movement, not necessarily abolition movement, but revision movement probably looks like it will gain a lot of uh, support going forward. Professor Chul, what do you make of uh, the move to try and abolish the ordinance or perhaps uh, revise it and the current situation involving uh, the Seoul Administrative Court as well? So I think the move to abolish students' ordinance or human rights ordinance altogether is actually uh, misguided. Uh, and I, I think that the, um, the student's human rights ordinance is being wrongfully scapegoated for uh, issues that should really be looked at uh, and discussed in a different way. So, for example, the recent deaths of some teachers or um, people, teachers taking their own lives uh, as a result of uh, the difficulties that they experience uh, in in their work have been blamed on um, the human rights ordinance for students, but. I think that's completely misguided uh, because the ordinance itself, if you look at it, um, it, it really doesn't add anything more than what <laughs> our basic rights are protected under the, the, the constitution. It just makes it more specific uh, in context of students and schools. But what is missing, uh, as Professor Kim already mentioned, are the duties that students should also observe and not just the rights uh, that they should enjoy. So if you look at this, the Seoul City um, Students' Human Rights Ordinance, it, the, the rights section is actually made up of 10 subject chapters dealing uh, from you know, anti-discrimination to freedom from violence to right to education to right to privacy, uh, right to free expression and participation, self-regulation, right to welfare, uh, rights in the disciplinary process, um, rights against infringement of their rights, and also rights of minority students. But nowhere do we see what the students actually uh, must do in terms of respecting other students' rights and rights of teachers. But the ordinance also gets interpreted in Re really uh, wrong way. I've heard examples of teachers citing the ordinance to argue that, you know, look, if they discover a mi minor student, so um, a, a pupil of under the age of consent, being in a relationship with a much older person who met the student or kind of, you know, enticed the student uh, uh, through an online uh, meeting room or something, and the student, the teacher actually finds out that the student has had uh, sexual relations with this older adult, it would be the duty of the teacher to report this because it's actually a crime, a statutory rape. But the teacher was arguing that, oh, because of the ordinance saying that the student's rights uh, to privacy and personal information should be protected, I can't even tell this to the parents. Now, that's an entirely wrong interpretation and application of the audience, ordinance, which gets overridden any by, anyway by superior level laws of the primary, middle and high school education and even the, the, the criminal code. Uh, so I fear that the teachers are not educated and trained properly about the ordinance 
themselves. But I do also agree that uh, there should be definitely a section added about the, the student's own duties because no rights come without responsibilities. So on one hand, I guess there is the argument that the rights of students in schools need to be respected. On the other hand, there is the argument that the authority of teachers needs to be respected as well. And it's about striking that balance. But the question becomes, uh, how do we strike that balance? Professor Kim, how do we do that? If you think, especially if we need to keep the ordinance, uh, but perhaps revise it, what advice would you give? Well, uh, different ideas may be needed here, and I don't have any specific prescriptions here, but uh, it uh, going beyond the recent cases and controversies surrounding the suicide case of the teacher who was abused uh, by, uh, uh, allegedly abused by the students, parents, and so on, uh, we do have a real concern in this society, which uh, we didn't before as much. That is, you know, these parents' desire to protect their own children uh, now we see it has become a force that creates a lot of abuse and attack on other people. And therefore, more than ever before, unlike, uh, you know, when the different school districts adopted these ordinances like more than a decade ago, nowadays we see greater need to protect our teachers because teachers are such an important asset member of our community here. And we've seen in countries like the United States, for example, where teachers lost their pay, they lost their incentive to excel, uh, only a small number of student, uh, teachers with strong commitment, despite their per- terrible pays and incentive structure, continue to teach students. And as a whole, you know, the, the, as a result of it, the society is kind of going down. A lot of people observe, make an argument of. And this is a situation that we have to avoid in this country. And the Korea, a lot of people made an argument, has become successful economically and development-wise because for decades in modern times, Korea has had upheld some of the brightest and best and brightest people in the vocation of teaching students. And uh, we face a great threat, a lot of people recognize, because of the societal change, because of different attitude of the parents and so on. So uh, absolutely, uh, we face a new need, greater need to protect students, you know, to uphold the system here. And the, the, the time when we faced the need to protect students was... 10 something years ago. Now we see new demands. So uh, I think this, this is what's happening here. As, as new needs arise, we have to come up with a new consensus and agreement. And uh, I guess, you know, it's time to think about adding these kind of clauses and principles of protecting teachers' rights and t- teachers' incentive, teachers' motivation, and keep the system going forward. Professor Cho. How do you think we should deal with the situation? What lessons do you think we need to take away uh, from this issue currently? I think the deep issue stems from the fact that our public school system is currently in crisis. If you look at the the issues that arise with teachers' uh, complaints about their rights being uh, abused and not respected and violated, etc., we don't have such complaints arising from private academies. Uh, Have you noticed. We, we don't really come across news headlines saying a uh, private academy teacher takes his or own, her, her own life because of bullying by parents, etc. And I think 
the problem is, um, and I'm talking really mostly about bigger cities uh, because that's where all, most of the problems are concentrated as well. Uh, the parents are in fierce competition to make sure that their uh, children get better treatment than other students. And they uh, are really sensitive about any kind of even tiniest uh, discrimination or uh, perhaps um, unfair treatment, uh, not even unfair treatment, but you know, less beneficial treatment that, they, that their students, might, their children might receive. And at the same time, uh, teachers, especially younger teachers who are trained in a new system or who are uh, much more sort of um, disciplined about in terms of what they can actually do vis-a-vis -vis students are really reluctant and, and unsure about what kind of um, what kind of methods that they can actually use to discipline the students. And so we, we have teachers who are unhappy in their jobs because of their general dissatisfaction in terms of, uh, in, in terms of actually quality of uh, the, the classroom uh, because most students actually engage in advanced study. So they are already familiar with the curriculum from their private academy studies. And so a lot of them are bored and so they don't concentrate. Mm. Uh, it, they become disrespectful to teachers. Uh, teachers don't really have uh, really effective uh, means of uh, disciplining them. The parents become much more vocal and critical about the teaching in classrooms. Uh, and all of these kind of uh, issues actually come together. And putting that just at the feet of students' human rights ordinance is really uh, ill-thought, uh, although the ordinances themselves do have some issues because that was a result of too much of a hurried um, uh, ordinance making. So coming back to what can we do as a solution, I think uh, the, the teachers, uh, obviously rights need to be respected better and they should be better trained about mm. what they can and can't do. The students also needed to be reminded about their own responsibilities and duties as students. And most of all, I think we really need to revive our public education system. And in fact, you know, uh, you know, the, some of the ordinances actually outlaw advanced learning, but you can't stop that uh, in private sphere. So there really needs to be this mushrooming of private education versus public education so that the pu public schools actually do uh, their real right. work and teachers feel uh, that they are uh, appreciated. We'll have to leave it there. We'll be speaking to Professor Cho Hee Kyung and Professor Kim Byung Joo. Thank you both, as always, for your time. Thank you. Thank you very much. Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index fell 14.28 points, or 0.55% on Thursday, to close the day at 2,600.02. The tech-heavy Kosdaq also fell, losing 3.54 points, or 0.41%, to close at 859.44. On the foreign exchange, the local currency weakened 6.21 against the dollar, closing the day at 1,305.11. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr.
We come to Korea trending now. Our daily segments where we take a look at some other news stories that have been trending online. And for that, we have with us in the studio news editor Daniel Che. Daniel, hello. It's good to see you. Hello. It's good to see you too, Chang-ho. Okay. So, what do you have for us first? Uh, we are reminded over and over again that we are living in an aging society here in Korea. Uh, one area of concern as people live longer is the national pension. According to the National Pension Service, on Thursday, as of June, among those receiving pension benefits, 174 people were aged 100 and up. Yes, gone are the days when centenarians are considered rare, but still. 174 is quite a surprising number. Yes, among them, women easily outnumber men 135 to 39, the oldest being 110 years young. Korea surpassed aging society mark in 2001, with over 7% of the population exceeding 65 years in age. Based on the forecast by Statistics Korea, barring any dramatic turnaround, the nation could become a super-age society by 2025, with over 20.6% of the population being over 65 years old. Regarding the number of centenarians, it has been on the rise gradually from 18 in 2011 to over 50 by 2015 and exceeded the 100-person mark in 2020. So we began by talking about the pension. How much does the rising number of centenarians impact the future of the national pension system? So this group receives an average a monthly pension of some 338,000 won or around $260, but the figure could be higher as it's possible for them to receive the pension payments of their deceased children. The NPS, the government and the committee selected to focus on revamping the system suggested measures such as hiking the pension premium rate and raising the age at which retirees can withdraw their pensions, but this is a very sensitive issue and most proposed changes are met with strong resistance and criticism. Mm. Time is against us to devise measures to prevent a depletion of the state-run pension fund as the nation faces a deepening demographic crisis. Indeed, every year that passes, the problem snowballs, so there'll need to be a lot of political courage to address this sensitive issue. Okay, let's move on to our next story. What do you have for us? G-Dragon has signed with a new agency called the Galaxy Corporation, and the first order of business was to hold a press conference at a hotel in Sacho District, Seoul, on Thursday, and send a warning to those who spread rumors or make malicious comments. Yes, this, of course, comes after the former Big Bang leader had been in the news in recent months for drug abuse allegations. He has now been cleared of the charges by the police, but for a while his reputation was really dragged through the mud. So uh, perhaps it's natural for his management firm to take a protective stance. What else did they say? The officials of the company fielded questions instead of the rapper, whose real name is Kwon Jiung, as he was not in attendance at the event. Director Cho Song has said the police concluded that Kwon was not guilty and entirely unaffiliated with recent drug scandal. He also highlighted that the artist had to endure difficult times due to swirling speculations and rumors. Cho asked for support in helping G-Dragon reclaim some normalcy in his life, and that they can do that by refraining from linking or referring him to matters related to the scandal. And as you mentioned, the agency went a step further than just asking for cooperation. They issued a stern warning as well. Yes, Director Joe said acts of spreading rumors or posting replies or contents targeting the artists are clear violations of his human rights. The agency demanded that all such online posts and comments be removed by December 28th. And from past that date, such posts and comments that are newly uploaded or have not been removed will be subject to severe legal repercussions. 
You mentioned that G-Dragon himself wasn't present for the presser, but an important announcement regarding his next big move was made during the session. He is keeping busy, not just with his uh, artistic endeavors. Uh, a handwritten letter by G-Dragon was unveiled, and it detailed plans to establish a foundation dedicated to eradicating illegal drugs. He emphasized that he was shocked to learn that illegal drug use among underage youths is increasing while proper medical assistance facilities and services for victims are sorely lacking in the nation. He vowed to create a sustainable system in which he can be personally involved to prevent vulnerable groups from falling victim to drugs and related issues. Yes, hopefully this unfortunate chapter is now behind him and he returns back to headlines with better news. Let's continue on to our final story. What else has been trending? BTS member Jimin, who began his mandatory military service last week, has got a surprise present for his fans this Christmas. His management company, Big Hit Music, announced Thursday that the singer will be releasing a new solo digital single titled Closer Than This. Wow. So, yes, currently all the BTS members are enlisted and fulfilling their national service duties. And I'm sure the fans were dreading the long wait for new music. So this, I'm sure, would have been a nice surprise for them. Can you tell us more about this new track? It contains his personal message to the fans. The song is very different from the first number written and composed by Jimin titled Promise, released back in 2018, which was written while looking back at regrets and mistakes of the past. So Closer Than This is a more uplifting song about making sure he lives up to expectations of fans and promising to repay the love he received from them. Yes, hearing about this news, you'd forget that he's serving in the military now, uh, more so since he was able to release a pre-recorded video as well for his fans. Yes, he did. Uh, through BTS official YouTube channel Bangtan TV, Jimin left a special message on Thursday. Along with his groupmate V, a special dance performance was held in a specially decorated studio. He once again reminded fans not to worry about him and to take care of their health as he will be back before they know it. And until that time, they can listen to Closer Than This, which will be officially released at 2 p.m. Friday, Korea time. That's where we're going to leave it for today's Korea Trending. Thank you for those stories, Daniel, and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for having me. Continue on now to Explore Korea, our weekly segment where we discover more cultural, historical and travel highlights that the nation has to offer. And we do that with the help of our special contributors or explorers. This week, we welcome back Yi Jian, cultural reporter for the Korea Jungang Daily. Jian, hello. It's great to see you again. Great to see you, Tango. Yes, we really enjoyed talking about Kisa Shikdang or cabbie diners last time. Right. What do you have in store for us today? So today, I want to talk about sort of a bizarre yet popular local delicacy called sannakji, otherwise known as live octopus tentacles. So it is eaten raw while the nerves of the tentacles are still intact and moving. Not only are these squirming tentacles loved by Koreans, but they are also considered a must-try dish among food adventurous foreigners visiting Korea. Wow, you are throwing our listeners in the cultural <laughs> deep end this week then, talking about eating live octopus tentacles. Mm. Uh, as you said, it's a popular delicacy for locals in Korea, but it'd be uh, quite a culture shock for many visitors, I feel. But I guess that's why the dish has gained such fame and notoriety among foreigners then. 
Yes, it's just such a strange dish to be eating that understandably from the foreigner's perspective that reviews, photos, online videos, and recently social media short film clips featuring it easily go viral. Also, food avid celebrities visiting Korea like the singer Sam Smith or celebrity chef Gordon Ramsay have been seen and photographed taking a spoonful of these squirming pieces of octopus tentacles, which certainly contributed to the dish's fame. <laughs> so now Korea tourism organization KTO in 2018 actually ran a survey to see what exotic Korean dishes foreigners wanted to try the most when they visited Korea. And Sanakji came in number one, followed by other dishes like Ganjanggejang, which is raw crabs marinated in soy sauce and sundae, which is Korean blood sausages. Right, those are all quite adventurous dishes, actually. Mm. All delicious, mm-hmm. uh, I would say. But at the same time, I think sanakji is a level above when it comes <laughs> to uh, adventurousness. Indeed. Perhaps we should explain a bit more about what it is, actually. We said it's live octopus tentacles, but can you tell us more? Right, so sanakji is a type of dish whose main ingredient is nakji. And nakji is a species of small octopus known as long arm octopus or octopus minor, found alongside the Korea's southern coasts. And there are many types and sizes of nakji, but sebar nakji is the kind that is usually served raw. And these are baby octopuses only two to three months old that are born in spring. Their body length is about 20 centimeters and their head circumference is about two to three centimeters. So much smaller and thinner than the typical octopus that likely comes to our minds. Mm. Mm. Some 80% of sebar nakji in the local market are caught alongside the shores of South and North Jola province, and sebar nakji often reside between rocks and shallow sea water or mudflats. Right, so that's the key, I think. They're not perhaps the type of octopus and tentacles that we might uh, imagine uh, in our minds right away, Western Mm -hmm. uh, people anyway, but uh, they are a specific type of small octopus. And so their tentacles are quite small as well. Very thin, yes. How is sanakji served exactly? Mm, the most common way to eat them is by chopping the tentacles into tiny one to three centimeter pieces. So that's like an inch or less. Mm. Called tangtangi, the wriggling bits of octopus are seasoned with sesame oil and then salted and topped with Korean pear slices, scallions, pepper, sesame seeds, or an egg yolk, according to your taste. Mm. And the dish's name is actually an onomatopoeia of tang sound of the blades hitting the cutting board as the cook strikes the tentacles with a knife in each hand. And now there are many other ways of eating the dish as well. Some regions in the south do eat it live, do eat the live octopus whole, somewhat like the famous Hanakji scene in director Park Chanuk's movie Old Boy in 2003. Yes, of I don't course. Know, yes, <laughs> I think many people remember that scene of Che min stuffing a whole squiggling octopus into his mouth. Mm. But this is actually deemed very, very dangerous. Just this October, actually, an 82-year-old man had a heart attack after choking on a tentacle of a sanakji. And this actually happens almost every year, where there are reports of somebody choking or asphyxiating after eating sanakji. What usually happens is that one of the suckers stick onto your throat or your airway, so blocking your airway. Mm. And it's important to chew thoroughly, even if you're eating finely chopped pieces. Well, I'm sure just hearing that will put off quite a few people who might be a little (laughs) bit squeamish. Uh, But yes, eating the way you might have seen the dish in Old Boy is not recommended. So you're saying it's advised that you go to the uh, go down the more traditional, safer route. Absolutely. Okay, so if you are in Korea then and you are 
up for trying this, where should you go? Where can you find the best Sanakji eateries in Korea? Mm. In Seoul, you can find some decent Tangtangi places inside the Gwangjang Market in Jung District, Central Seoul. But if you're willing to travel a little further, Mokpo in South Jola has some of the country's freshest Sanakji. Right, that's a coastal town, so that's understandable, yes. I guess. Uh, incidentally, since when did Koreans eat Tanakji? How long has it been around for? Been around for a while because records actually date back to the Joseon Dynasty, which is between years 1392 and 1910. There are also records of Sanakji being eaten during this time by fermenting it in salt or vinegar infused water. But it was largely reserved for the royals only, and the dish saw wider popularity starting in the mid 20th century as seafood consumption went up. I see. So it does have a long history, but it's become more popular in recent years. Why do you think that is? What do you think is the appeal of it? Why do Koreans enjoy it so much, do you think? Mm. Well, many people enjoy the texture of Sanakji in particular, the feeling of the tentacles. Um, and those suckers kind of sticking inside your mouth. Mm. So some people like the fresh taste of these live octopuses too, um, describing it almost sweet. And nakji is also perceived as superfoods among locals, very powerful that it can even get a sick cow back on its feet, according to a common <laughs> Korean saying. So it's only an expression today, but in the ancient Joseon dynasty, people actually did feed nakji to cows suffering from summer heat or that had just given birth, as stated in Tasanobo or the Book of Fish Records, written by a famous Joseon scholar named Chong Yakjeon. Nakji is actually very high in protein and other nutrients like taurine, DHA, EPA, iron and calcium, both uh, cooked or eaten raw. Yes, for anyone who has tried it, they would say that it is actually very tasty, especially with a little bit of seasoning, as you mentioned earlier. It's not just the thrill of trying something strange, but mm -hmm. that is obviously part of the fun as well. But yes, <laughs> yes. it is a, a real delicacy. However, there is one thing that... We haven't addressed yet uh, an elephant in the room, mm. and I'm sure many people listening will have thought the same thing. There are controversies surrounding the dish, right? There is, and it's been growing recently, and it's an argument against eating sanakji from those who see it as animal cruelty. In Korea, under the Animal Protection Act, it currently only considers vertebrae with developed nervous system because of the notion that these are the only types of animals that are capable of feeling pain. Recent studies, however, support that cephalopods and crustaceans like octopus, squid, lobsters, and shrimp can also feel pain as well. And it is certainly illegal to put live and conscious lobsters into boiling water in countries like New Zealand, Norway, and Switzerland. And Italy's Supreme Court in 2017 actually ruled that restaurant kitchens must not keep live lobsters on ice because it causes unjustifiable suffering. And in line with this, Korea's Green Party in 2020 made an election pledge that when voted, it would regulate cooking alive and conscious animals, including sanakji. But progress on this front hasn't really been made since then. And some people argue on the other side that sanakji is okay because they're actually killed before being chopped into these little pieces. Um, so While they know, might still be moving, they've yeah. been killed before. Yes, right, in just a more, the nerves. 
Exactly. Okay. It it is such a popular dish with a long history mm-hmm. in Korea that I think any attempt to ban it will likely face an uphill struggle, at least uh, for now. Right. Animal rights is also something that doesn't have a particularly long or at least fervent history mm-hmm. uh, here in Korea either. So for anyone listening who has such concerns, unfortunately, it looks like it is here to stay for now. For now. But for those who are open to trying it, it is an experience that they likely won't forget. anytime soon, both the experience and the taste. And it is part of uh, Korea's long culinary history. So, yeah, there is that as well. Yes. Okay, Jian, we'll leave it there. Thank you for telling us all about this delicacy today. I'm sure people have uh, really been enlightened by it. I'm (laughs) sure uh, some people were curious to try the dish as well. And we look forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you. Thank you for having me today. Now, before we go, we have some unfortunate news for our shortwave listeners in South America. Due to technical issues, KBS World Radio's English service will be making an adjustment in its shortwave frequency from January 1st, 2024. Our broadcast on 9.580 megahertz targeting South America will be abolished. Instead, we'll be airing the same programming on 9.570 megahertz. For more details, please go to our website, world.kbs.co.kr, and look for the PR room where there will be more details. And that's our show for today. Thank you for staying with us. We'll be back same time tomorrow. So we hope you can join us again then. I've been your host, Hun j a n g o and thank you as always for listening. Goodbye. KBS World Radio strives to promptly update our listeners on safety procedures during emergency situations. The following are recommended guidelines to follow when you're driving in snowy conditions. On days with heavy snowfall, take extra caution on sloping lanes as you could easily lose control of your vehicle. On icy roads, refrain from speeding as slippery road conditions make it harder to steer or stop the wheels. Ensure you keep a wider distance with the car ahead of you as it takes longer to slow down. Drivers are also advised to use chains and other equipment to keep their tyres from slipping. If you don't have the proper equipment, spray sand or soil on the tyres and start off in second gear. When travelling to areas with extreme snowfall, make sure you check the road and traffic conditions before setting off. When stranded in heavy snow, call 119 for assistance. KBS World Radio.